the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 14, Doctor Who, Series 11 Review. Well, it's now the middle of January 2019, and Jodie Whittaker's first series is complete, including the New Year's Day special. So we thought we'd be very remiss if we didn't do a series overview. bit late to the party but we don't do these recording sessions all that time. We don't, we're, we're, we record about once every three months so we're not terribly uh, as live. However, we have commented on this before, before it went out and the general sort of pre-series consensus. Mine, I am sorry to say, is largely as it was before it went out. There are a lot of good things to say about series 11. I will start with the fact that the theme music and the incidental music, for that matter, is a massive improvement over the last iteration. And I think that the new composer is wonderful. It's, it's really wonderful. It's just what it needed. I think it was a terrible misfire to start the new series with a theme arrangement that good and a title sequence that bizarre and not use it on episode one. I think it was just a complete misstep. You spent the whole so the first quarter of an hour expecting it and then realised it wasn't going to put in an appearance which really annoyed me. It annoyed me a lot more than it should have done really. Um, but there were just little things all the way through that all the way through the series that I thought this has been done just to needle those fans who are going to be put out by this series. I was annoyed by the fact that they'd clearly done things just to be different. Not for any narrative reason, not because the story or the new style demanded it, just to be different. I'm going to stop slagging off there and let Simon come in with your comments for a while. I, I hadn't really thought of it that way, to be perfectly honest. I mean, there are, there are, there are things I don't particularly like about it. It's not actually a huge amount I actively dislike. But equally, there's, there's very little that I think is great. It's mm. just a bit... Meh. It reminds me a bit of Capaldi's first season in that yeah. mm. they've employed a really good actor to play the Doctor. And she does put in a really good performance and have given her god-awful stories. I'm, now, Colin Baker was much the same. I'm, well, Colin Baker, um, I, I've always viewed Matt Smith as the Colin Baker of the modern era. He's fantastic as the Doctor, but he's given some terrible stories. Oh, Capaldi's worse. Do you know, there's a lot of Capaldi's out there. Later like, on. Those, those. Do you know, it's, uh, what's the first series? There's Mummy on the Orient Express, I thought was brilliant. The Caretaker, mm. I thought was brilliant. Uh, his first episode, Deep Breath, very rewatchable. Dreadful. No, I, I oh, enjoyed God, that, no, that immensely. That whole thing where they, they, they can't move without breathing was just completely unrealistic. I grant you, yes. I mean, it's not going to fool And you. it's the clockwork robots. 
and you know how much I hate the clockwork robots. It may have been mentioned in the past um, once or twice. <laughs> I, I, I hate the clockwork robots by association because of how much I hate Kill in the Fireplace. Clockwork robots were initially very pretty. They don't make an awful lot of sense in Deep Breath. None of Deep Breath really makes sense. I'm with you on that. I'm not saying it's a flawless episode. I'm just saying, stylistically, I just enjoy that episode. There's everything about it. Particularly the sound work on that is also... It's very nicely done. And there's also tarmac. Victoriana. There's, so. there's, it's Victoriana, but there's tarmac in the road. So, mm, yes, uh, we'll, we'll let that one slide. But back to Jodie Whittaker. I'm afraid I don't rate her as the Doctor very much at all. Um, It's nothing against her, because I know she's been in a lot of other stuff and she wouldn't get the gigs if she wasn't excellent. I haven't seen her in anything else, so it would be monstrous of me to slag her off as a... I just don't think she's right for the part. I think that her her quirkiness is terribly forced. Uh, Her... Uh, righteous anger scenes. They just she just drifts through the series. A is an observer, not entirely a bad thing because a lot of the the very first stuff with Hartnell, they were observers rather than actual participants. But she's like a secondary character in her own show. I don't like the the way they've organised the TARDIS team. Um, it feels overpopulated. It's overpopulated the- with dull characters. The only one worth his salt is Bradley Walsh. And all, all he has done is apologise, basically, for white men, it seems to be. All the way through, he's got this apologetic attitude. And I, I think Bradley Walsh, he's been slagged off mercilessly before even people saw a frame. Everything I've seen him in has been fantastic. And I think a lot more could have been done with him as a companion if he'd been the sole companion. Or, the other two. Or him him and Yaz. Ryan is the one who really stands out as doing absolutely nothing. She had pegged both Ryan and Yaz in, in the same category. I don't think that either of them have had any genuine character development. But if you'd, if you'd conflated those two characters, you might have ended up with one interesting character. Possibly. It's overpopulated. We, we saw this in the Davison era. Three does not work. There's just nothing for the third one to do. Two's and a stretch. Trout mirror as well, because yeah, um, well, that's why Ben and Polly went. Much as I, I think Jamie is a has always been an excellent uh, companion for the second Doctor. I much prefer Ben and Polly. I think the dynamic for with Ben and Polly as a an anchor to present day life was much better mm. than a. Uh, a Jacobite um, warrior. Now... And it's a real shame that none of the pre-Jamie Troughton episodes exist. Yes, it is. All um, six of them. All, all six of them. And yeah, it, it's a real shame that Power of the Daleks doesn't exist, irrespective of the, uh, whether Jamie was in it or not. But we really are drifting away from that. We are, we're drifting a long way away. I mean, the, right. uh, the, let's get down to the, the stories themselves. Nothing this season... season has stood out. Nothing to me has stood out as rewatchable, or I'd really want to see that again. There are a couple that are quite good. There's I quite like the Future Armour ripoff. The space ambulance with the. Um, oh, the Saranga conundrum. Yeah. It was all right, but again, this is this is where. Complete ripoff of Future Armour, though. I've never seen Future Armour, so. Uh, and this is a fan of Matt Groening. Um, the problem I've got with all the episodes is every single episode has to have an issue to address. 
I hate issues. Now, the whole of Doctor Who has been littered with issues or the underdog or if you want to boil it down to its barest bones, power of crawl, the swampies. There's racism galore in yeah. that. And the Doctor turns around in just an understated moment, says, doesn't he count? And just in that one fragment, it sums up the entire story of what the issue of racism in that story. I love that moment because it's so understated and it says everything it needs to state. This series rams it down your throat. Every episode, there's a different issue. Every character has got to have some minority that they're part of. They've either got to be disabled or a different race or they've got to be gay in some way or there's got to be some condition that bends convention. Like in the Saranga conundrum, you've got the male character that's pregnant and it's just thrown in there, not because it's interesting, but because that character is completely superfluous to the story. He is only in there to give the companions something to do. It's it's not exactly the only Doctor Who story that's done that. It isn't, but it's a, a good example of why you don't fill the TARDIS full of companions because there's nothing for them to do. You have to invent subplots and they're never terribly good subplots. In the classic series is is a case in point. That's why Turlow, the whole Tegan Nissa Turlow thing didn't last long. The whole Ben Polly Jamie thing didn't last long. There's nothing for them to do. There's only so much story you can cram into an hour and a half yeah. of classic and certainly fifty minutes of new. Yeah. It's just the way it's in the whole series. I mean is Chibnall's gone on record as saying that series twelve will he's going to continue with this issues thing. It's the only one that I will not be buying on Blu-ray or DVD. I've just no interest in seeing any of those again. And I I can't quite... But you see, I, I've fallen into the bracket now of the middle-aged Doctor Who fan railing against the new series and how bad it is. Last year, the, Capaldi's last year, I thought was brilliant. I honestly yes. thought that was a return to form. And there's no way now that you can criticise Doctor Who without it being a case of, you just don't like it because she's a woman. no. I don't agree with the casting decision that they were specifically going to cast a woman. Now, if they'd, if they'd opened it up and said, look, she's now open to women, we want the best person for the job. Fine. It just happens that this time, the woman that came through the door was the best person for the job. No problem. They've stunt casted with a woman. Now, there's no way. A good friend of mine, he said, there's no way now you can go back straight back to a white man. No way. So you've either got a black man or a black woman as the next doctor. Yeah, and as I, as I said last time we were discussing this, I think that the brave casting decision would have been to cast a person of colour, irrespective of gender, because they'd already done the sex change mm. thing with a number of the characters, no, most notably the Master. So it's not news. I, it's just this um, this stunt casting and issues, 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 and there's got to, they've, they've got so far away from telling a story in favour of pushing issues down the viewer's throat and I'm not the only person to say this now I have I've seen this online on Facebook and this and the other that a lot of people have said you know it's just rampant racism and bigotry and you don't like it and it's sexism you don't like this you don't like that the all these people that are railing against Doctor Who they're just you know they're, they're all from the same you know they're just all ignorant bigoted the people that I talk to my friends they're not ignorant or bigoted they are these are well-educated people Long-time Doctor Who fans, they just don't like the direction new Doctor Who. Now, that's not happened in a year. They've not been slagging off Capel and saying, oh, it's not as good as it used to be. It's happened overnight. Mm, yeah, and 
the two things I really disliked about Rosa. The bit where they're in the cafe. Yes. And the doctor just tells them to ignore it and go with it. In no other story would that happen. The doctor would rail against the injustice. Mm. I can't imagine any other doctor doing that. Yeah. And also, I hated the part where the doctor and the companions were on the bus and the what they were the ones that had to force the issue. Yeah. Um, and you ended up with the doctor refusing to give up her seat so that Rosa Parks had to make make the stand. And to preserve history, blah, 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 it still ended up with the doctor being looking horrifically bigoted. Mm. Again, I was discussing the, the only friend of mine, Paul, who has, he sat down with, with his children every Sunday night and he loves it because the kids, the kids have enjoyed sitting down watching Doctor Who on a Sunday night before school. I, I think that's a great idea. I mean, it was a brave decision moving it from Saturday to Sunday. And I think it's paid off because now there's there's no competition. And really, you don't... For all our, our love of having it on Saturday nights, to be quite honest, I never watched it on Saturday nights. I always caught it on catch-up because I was out. So there's in the days of iPlayer, it now really doesn't matter. I think it was a good yeah. move. The problem that he has is that the Doctor... We were discussing this. The Doctor is now... They've all got their own character traits. You've got, you know, the waspish, bouncy 10th Doctor and the sort of childish madman in the box 11th and the sour-faced, grumpy 12th. They've all got their own characteristics. Why on earth would you make the first female Doctor the unsure Doctor? She just constantly needs reassuring. From the very first moment on top of that hill in Ghost Monument... You know, she's unsure about the TARDIS and she needs everybody to reassure her. When the hell has the Doctor ever needed reassuring before by his companions? And is that really the best time to start? I just think that the the whole direction of this series is completely and utterly wrong. It doesn't feel like Doctor Who anymore. I don't feel that strongly about it. I think it did feel like Doctor Who. I don't think it felt like good Doctor Who, but Mm. it did feel like Doctor Who. Most of the episodes... I kind of struggle to remember because they're so forgettable. There was some, there was something dreadful in Norwegian. But again, that's another one. The Norway one. I can't even remember the episode titles. That's how dull this was. The Norway one centred around the fact that this thing had opened a portal to another, th- another place. The only reason that they'd not been found out is because they happened to do it in a house where the occupant was blind. It wasn't ever stated in that episode that I remember that it had specifically done it so that the occupant wouldn't know what was going on. It just happened to be where there was a blind person. The whole story and the whole crux of that hinged on that little girl being blind. If she'd not been, it would have made a, it would have been a complete nonsense. And it annoyed me. You've, there was um, an episode with Capaldi uh, before the flood, under the lake. Mm. There was a character in it who was deaf uh, and only spoke in sign language. The way it was done, she was just there. She wasn't integral to the plot. She was just there. Characters should just be there. The, sh- the disability should not be a plot device. It's just because all of a sudden it becomes either A, worthy, or B, just integral to a plot, and it undermines the whole the whole plot. We've had disabled characters in, in Doctor Who before. It's not been integral to the plot. I don't really have a problem with it being integral to the plot, to be honest. As it's just the fact that the entire series had them forced in. Yeah, I was going to say, as long as it's not integral to every single plot. It really, I'm, I'm genuinely sad to have this downer on Doctor Who because I've never had it before. Bear in mind, I, I grew up through the Davison 
Colin Baker, McCoy era. Season 24, not very well regarded. Um, at the time, I, I was a, a kid and I was watching it as Doctor Who. Oh, this is different from how it was last year. Oh, look. I look back at it now, I don't particularly regard it very fondly. That whole season doesn't really hang together very well. But there's nothing integrally wrong with it. It just doesn't hang together very well. And then the year after... And it has some... It does have some nice bits it. In does it. have some nice bits in it. And then the year after is a complete return to form. You know, they've, they've, clear, they've swept away all the hangovers and you open up with a cracking season opener and it just carries on. So I, I'm not one of these fans that just harks back to the good old days. Because there were ups and downs all the way through the series. I just think that the way that it's gone, don't preach to me. Do not put preaching in a programme because it's an instant turn off for me. Just this week, we've had a Gillette advert. It's very much split people. It basically turns around and says, all you white men, you know, you need to behave better. Well, cheers, Scott. I've been buying your products for 24 years and you've suddenly decided that how good a razor blade is, isn't really the main thrust of Gillette's story. It's how moralistically we should behave. And all of a sudden there's been a backlash against Gillette because it's rammed this moral, preachy message down the consumer's throats, the, the core audience's throats. And that's unfortunately what Doctor Who did to me. It just rammed continuous, preachy, moralistic messages down the throats. And the bottom line... and. I said this to somebody else as well. We are all watching, really, for good stories. And the bottom line, when you boil it right down, the stories were rubbish. They were just dull. Oh, I'm just on my soapbox now. I'm, I can't think of enough bad things to say about this series that, for reasons that I don't like it. I feel really bad saying that because, stylistically, mm. it is utterly beautiful. The, the cinematography is wonderful. The direction's wonderful. The... Music, really, I mean, the music. I was sad to see Morigold go. I've, I've never had a problem with Morigold's music apart from the 12th Doctor theme tune, which I thought was a whiny, horrible arrangement. But the the new incidental music is so subtle and so modern and so understated and yet evocative at the same time. Wonderful. It really much needed that, but I didn't realise how much until I heard it. Um, an honourable mention must go because Karen, God bless her, sat through the whole series with me. And and we'd hope to have her in on this discussion uh, because it would be interesting to have a... A not we. A not we. Um, oh, kinder. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not segue. Come on, keep it tight. Yeah, yes, because we're known for that. We are known for not segueing. That would be terrible if we did that on every commentary. <laughs> Dreadfully unprofessional. No, it would have been lovely to have Karen in on this, but unfortunately, um, the entire household is riddled with cold that I myself am just coming to the very tail end of. Um, this is what happens if you go to Manchester. It is. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Anyway. But, so, a future podcast will deal with a not-wee commentary on The Girl in the Fireplace is the one we chose. I'd, I'd love to get her view yeah. on Girl in the Fireplace. Because I know you don't like it, but sat with her watching Series 11. from Right from the start, it felt like she was the fan and I was the casual viewer. And by Episode 4, she was ripping it to bits. Because that was Arachnids in the UK, which A, is a shit title... But B, the story just ends. Mummy Spider dies, the end. Oh, and it really rammed American politics down your Oh, yeah. It was, it was stupid. I mean, Chris North, 
who I only know as big in Sex and the City. Mm. And I really, I, I must admit, I saw that years ago and I actually quite enjoyed that series and he was good in it. But he hammed it up enormously in that. And it was a, a terrible pastiche of Trump while at the same time saying how bad Trump was. And it engaged all the 1950s sci-fi cliches of a toxic waste dump turning things into super size with superpowers and the spiders are attracted by rap music which was a terrible crowbar to get rap music into an episode and then the mummy spider gets shot through the back and the episode ends well news flash that spiders are not a gestalt so what happened to all the millions of other spiders across sheffield who knows it just, I mean, Karen pointed it out. What happened? It, what what happened to all the other spiders? Just ends. Terrible stuff. Oh, God, I, I'm, I can't listen to myself slagging things off anymore. It's just awful. I really wish I didn't feel this badly about it, but I do. I'm, I'm not as anti, apart from the, the couple of episodes that I think I've been wordy enough about the whole cultural pro- appropriation thing, because it, it does irritate me. I quite like her portrayal. The majority of the stories I found pretty dull. I actually liked the Arachnids one. Yeah, it's a fairly ropey story, but we've had those before. Um, I quite like the Futurama ripoff. The rest I've kind of vaguely forgotten. And that's the problem. With, or I have now got to a stage where I'm watching it, not because I can't wait to see the next episode, but because I'm hoping it gets better. Um, oh, yes, and the, the um, New Year one. And you don't expect the end of year special to be particularly earth-shattering you just expect it to be a bit of christmas or new year fluff and i don't actually have a particular problem with the christmas episode becoming a new year episode no not at all what i did have a problem with is the whole daleks suddenly being able to control people without and wander about without their shells if they've been able to do that for all this time why have they bothered with the shells it's like the the whole nightmare in silver if Cybermen can be nanite viral in that way, why haven't they just taken over the entire mm. universe? Um, it's like the angels in Manhattan with oh, the, um, or or Dalek Sec and all of these things that seem like a nice idea at the time, but actually, if they were able to do that all all the way along, why haven't they? And, and with all of these, there there are limitations in in place in in the monsters. They're there for a good reason. Well, there was the whole main Dalek in Resolution. Which suddenly had Stinger missiles. How the hell has she built Stinger missiles? Where'd she got? It didn't make any sense whatsoever. However stylistically nice it would be that two of the bumps peeled back to reveal rockets, how had she built them? Needless pedantry, I'm sure. You know, we've we've picked apart Doctor Who stories in the past, but for heaven's sake, you've had a fairly ropey run. They must know from the feedback that it's been a fairly ropey run. I can't ima- I just can't imagine at, at BBC wherever it is now that they're looking back on this run thinking that was fantastic because if you look at the viewing figures yeah they're okay they're not bad hmm. but they started off with understandably they started off with the the highest ever opening figures for a new doctor even when the consolidated viewing figures they'd shed 3 million viewers by the halfway point and that continued to drop to the point where the New Year's Day episode is the lowest rating for the whole series since it came back, I believe. Certainly mm. for a for a Christmas one. 
Now, it, again, it, it, that's a, of no no joy to say that because all that does is threatens the future of the series. Hmm. So I, I'm certainly not gloating about the fact, but tonally, they've got it wrong. For all those that are saying it's a wonderful new breath of, breath of air, I don't think it is. It would be a breath of air if the stories were brilliant, but it isn't. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think if you were to ask the majority of fans, would you like to watch another Whitaker episode or Blink or Midnight? Or Yeah, I'm fairly sure I know which they've got for. Yeah. I can't imagine any of the stories that came out this year becoming anybody's favourite episode. No, neither can I. Um, and I don't think that there's a single other Doctor that I could say that about. Having said that, there are a number of first series where I could say I can't imagine that being anybody's favourite episode. Do you know, the trouble is, I am now looking back over the first series of each Doctor, with the exception of McCoy, and naturally Christopher Eccleston, who doesn't really have much of a choice in the matter. A lot, I've, I've got a lot of my favourites in those first series, actually. It's a real toss-up between Marco Polo and Dalek's master plan for me. On balance, I'd probably go with Marco Polo. Power of the Daleks by a country mile. I was more thinking of... Yeah. Because Capaldi's first season. You see, The Caretaker is one that I can go back to again and again. Mummy on the Orient Express again and again. The only trouble is that they finish with Twice Upon a Time. And I really love Twice Upon a Time. I thought that was just bloody brilliant. Nothing happens, really, the whole episode. This is a total non-story, but it's worth it for the whole... I mean, Capaldi's brilliant in it, Mm. but so is David Bradley. And there are times, and there's just certain camera angles and lighting and just little gestures that he does, we could almost be Hartnell. His performance isn't isn't spot on, but beyond that, that sort of of skews the Capaldi thing. But um, I love The 11th Hour. I think that's, that's I, I loved that as an opening episode. Still doesn't trump Day of the Doctor, but that's a multi, multi-Doctor story. I don't okay. know, I don't know. But it, it, the first the first run for any Doctor should be better than that. And I, I Yeah, I, I stick by the point that I can't imagine any of these episodes being positive enough to be anybody's favourite story, or actually positively, positive enough to be stories that people hate. Oh, I don't think there's anything hate-worthy because it's yeah, not... So it, because it's just, all completely bland. Yeah. No, I, I can't... Bland, look, bland and forgettable. I can't look at anything and say that was utterly terrible because it, it genuinely wasn't. It wasn't. Um, there's just too much stuff in there that's worthy and dull. Is that going to be the tagline for this series? Worthy and dull. I hope that's not... Well, hopefully the production team will look at what's happened and... Make changes. I suspect not. I suspect not because they've already started production. And the problem with the production teams for all of the remakes is that they're production teams of fans. Or they're they're showrunners of fans. Right. And fans have very, very fixed ideas of what Doctor Who should and shouldn't be. And we all know what it's like to argue with Doctor Who fans. Mm. I will say this much, though. In their own... I mean, Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat, they were poles apart in the way they tackled both the storytelling and the series structure and style. And and tonally, they were different. Mm. Uh, Russell T. Davis was, I won't say comedic, but it was more light. Uh, Stephen Moffat took it into darker. And in uh, certainly by the time you get to series six, far too complicated. If you you blink and you've missed. Yeah. And I think both of them stayed at least a year too long. 
Uh, and I, would, I, would I, and I think yeah. Chris Chibnall has stayed here too long. <laughs> <laughs> Regrettably, I am going to agree wholeheartedly with that. He is not right for showrunner. And the person I would love to see be showrunner, actually, is Mark Gatiss. Now, I don't think that... Oh. I, no, no, but hear me out. Because okay. I don't think that writing-wise, I think he's gone off the boil with Doctor Who. Because some of his recent stuff hasn't been as anywhere near as good as his earliest stuff. It's been bloody awful. Oh, I don't know. Empress of Mars, I think... But, I mean, the, the problem with Empress of Mars that is... dreadful thing with the sleep in people's eyes controlling them. The gag, I know. Um, I know oh, the, the Crimson Horror. Yeah, I'm the, not... not I am not disagreeing with you for a second. His early stuff, yeah. Um, Idiot's Lantern. I lo- it's one of my very favourite episodes. I'm not disputing any of that for a second. What I'm saying is, in terms of how a show should be run, how a show should be produced, he and the rest of the League of Gentlemen team now know enough about how to produce good television without having to actually write it as well. Now, You know who I think should be showrunner? Go on. Somebody who doesn't particularly like the show. Somebody who is an absolute non-fan. I wouldn't do disagree with that one as bit. As a yeah. successful, entertaining TV show, yeah. rather than the hotbed for their pet little fan. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't be against that in any way. Yeah. Because up until... Was JNT a fan? I don't know whether he was actually a fan. I think, I think as time went on, he was... This is the because um, there is a book that I will give you the JNT memoirs, the JNT memoirs. It's one of the best books I've ever read, and it's basically a series of interviews with most of the people involved during the nineteen eighties mm-hmm. that were major players, and it tells the the in depth warts and all story of JNT's time as producer. Doesn't exactly cover him with glory, but there are a lot of things in there that you know. If you pick through all the the salacious gossip, he was he had his strings pulled by certain influential fans. Ian Levine mentioning no names, and that, to my mind, is why the show went off the rails towards the end. A, he stayed way, yeah, way, too again, long, stayed way too long, way too long, because you start turning inwards. You, you can't. Yeah, help it. You start going back over old ground, and a lot of his early stuff was really, really good. And I think the, so, the, and actually, not even just the early stuff because uh, McCoy's final season is excellent. Yeah, and um, McCoy's middle season is excellent. I, I've nothing. I've nothing against any of it. I think there was a reluctance to bring back people like Bob Holmes. I know in the end, Eric Sayward had to really fight to get Bob Holmes on board. I don't really think there's anyone going to say hand on heart that Robert Holmes wasn't a really, really good Doctor Who writer. It was just there was an obsession to bring in new blood. Not entirely a bad thing, Yeah. but the people that were brought in couldn't really do it. No, nine years, way, way too long to stay on any programme, not let alone Doctor Who. Um, but even, but I mean, before him, everybody that was producer was there as producer, not yeah. fan who'd got got sufficiently influential in their own career to be able to get to do their dream job of production. Uh, I mean, in the case of, let's take Verity Lambert, for example. Mm-hmm. I think she she started the thing, and I think by the end she was, in fact, if you, if you read enough about it, she uh, grew to love the programme as a baby, but it wasn't. To start with, it was just, this is my step onto being a producer. Yeah. Philip Hinchcliffe, I suspect, was the same. I suspect by the by the end of that, he was quite passionate about it, that he wasn't... Again, from listening... I couldn't and, be completely wrong about that. Yeah, Barry Letts. Um, his autobiography is brilliant. He's, he's very uh, honest. Hmm. 
it's a shame that he never got to write the second half of his autobiography. His first one's brilliant. Uh, but yes, again, it was just a job. A good job, but just a job. Yeah. Um, and I think they need somebody who's going to come in and see it as a job. Mm. I mean, that said, Russell T. Davis made a very good job of bringing it back. And it was, there were flaws, but overall it was a good job. Stephen Moffat, there were flaws. Mm. But let's, uh, uh, the, the key argument I've got against anyone who says Stephen Moffat was rubbish. Right. Look at the 50th anniversary year. Now, I don't think you could ask any more of anyone to promote around the entire world and tie up so many loose ends and throw in everything that all the fans want to see into a 50th anniversary and nail it. Because he did. He got the the 50th anniversary to me spot on. I wouldn't change a thing. Five-ish doctors. It was more Peter Davison than Stephen Moffat, though. Um, the, the reason I say the five-ish doctors, and it is quite entertaining, the five-ish doctors is what stopped Doctor Who winning the Hugo that year. Tell me more. Right. Uh, it's the um, the science fiction awards that are giving it, yes. given out at Worldcom. And because that year there were so many Doctor Who nominations, I think there were three, so the vote was split three ways. Because the vote was split three ways, something else won. If the five-ish doctors, which is a bit of fun and it's a bit of fluff, but it should never have been nominated for the best science fiction programme of the year. It's not really science fiction. Yeah, absolutely. If that wasn't there... Doctor Who would have won the Hugo for its 50th anniversary. And purely because of that, I wish it wasn't there. Again, bit of a segue. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a measure, really, of this last series of Who. In a critique of Series 11, brand new Doctor, first female Doctor, we have spent more time discussing other things or we're more passionate about discussing other things. It really shouldn't be that way. So I am not looking forward to another series with any of the current lineup. I don't want him as uh, executive producer. Not really keen on her carrying on as the Doctor. I wish they'd shed a few of the ballast companions. Meh. Whereas I'd like to believe it can't get worse. I appreciate I can always be proved wrong on that. <laughs> And you could have ended up with an entire season full of love and monsters. We'll see. I'll I'll watch it. I'm not going to not watch the next series, but... Well, this is our first podcast, the first series while we've been podcasting. Yeah. So really, it's only fair. So it's our fault. It's not, no, what I was about to say. <laughs> nothing to do with makeup. Uh, what I was about to say was we should give it a, a series overview in Bernard's. I I refuse to sully the bird and scale with this. We need we need another scale. <laughs> Tardises, time rotors, Daleks, screwdrivers, jelly babies. How many segments of the key to time would you give it? If you want something utterly geeky, so I know we're going to a one to well, an out of six rather than an out of five, but. It's not the worst Doctor Who I've ever seen, but it's nowhere near. It's not even the most average Doctor Who I've I'm going to give it two segments. Yeah, my feelings exactly. It's not positive enough to hate. It's just meh. No. And that's it, meh. The, an, an entire series of meh actually takes some doing. Yeah. So 
I will say openly, wholeheartedly, I'm sorry, Chris Chibnall. I'm sorry, Jodie Whittaker. I know that you're both doing quite well in your respective fields. It's nothing personal against you. I just don't think, personally, I don't think that you are suited to this job. And it gives me no pleasure whatsoever to say that. Whereas I think Jodie Whittaker has potential. I think there there were times where she put in a, a cracking good performance against awful script. So I'd be very happy to see her back just done properly. So it, it's no reflection on her that I'm giving it two segments. Two segments. Good grief. And with that, I think we've said as many average things that there are to say about <laughs> Doctor Who. I shall sign off this particular segment and uh, we'll move on to something else. Thanks, everyone. Good night. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.